You're listening to The Venue Podcast. The Venue is a worship gathering of Southcrest Baptist Church. To learn more about The Venue at Southcrest, visit us online at southcrest.org or on Facebook and Instagram by searching for Southcrest Baptist Church. We hope this podcast helps you find your greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus. Hey, if you have your Bible, I hope you do. If you don't, there should be one in the back of your chair and you can take that. You can put your name in it. Like, it's yours, bro. I keep saying bro, sorry. All right. Hey, so turn to Matthew chapter seven. Matthew chapter seven. We're actually gonna finish the Sermon on the Mount this morning. Um, and we're actually gonna do a little bigger chunk of scripture in, in here this morning than they're doing in the worship center with Pastor David simply because uh, with Blake in here, my brother-in-law killing it last week, we missed some of what we covered uh, and then to chapter seven. So I wanna make sure we get that this morning. So Matthew chapter seven, we're gonna start in verse 15 here in just a moment. When I think about this time of year, uh, kind of middle into February, it always makes me remember my home church. Uh, my dad was a pastor there for a while and he was in charge of the family ministries for a good bit. And every year this time of year, they would take a family ministry ski trip up to West Virginia. We weren't like Texans who are so blessed to live close to Colorado, we had to go to West Virginia. And incredible times on those trips, it went really like through elementary school up through some of my years in high school. And again, so much fun, fun being with friends and family. But one of the things I remember is every year, whether it be on the ski lift or um, man, on the campfire after skiing or having some hot chocolate, whatever it may be, I remember some of the men in our church investing in speaking to some of the younger guys like me at that time. And so uh, maybe again on the ski lift, we're, we're cruising up the mountain and them say, hey, Brandon, you're, you're doing a really good job in this area of your life. I see you growing. But in this other area, I, I want you to be careful. I want you to be cautious or maybe just be, be aware that as you get older, these things could be a struggle. And so some of those men, I remember uh, Glenn McKendry and David Hare and obviously my dad were guys that spoke into me. And hopefully you have somebody like that that speaks into you right now. Maybe it's uh, someone that you talk with over a cup of coffee or at dinner or in the fishing boat or in the parking lot after work. Hopefully you have people that are willing to, to sit across from you and say, hey, I want you to be careful about this in your life. I want you to be cautious of this particular area in your life. Now, wouldn't it be cool, thinking about that, wouldn't it be cool if you could sit across from Jesus and have him tell you, hey, you're growing, you're doing good, but here's some areas in your life I want you to be cautious. Here's some areas I want you to just to beware of because things could go wrong here. Wouldn't that be awesome? Yes. Thank you, okay, good, yeah. <laughs> here's the cool thing. Because we have scripture, that's not just a hypothetical thing. He may not physically be sitting across from me, but as I read scripture, I get in a sense to talk with Jesus and hear him caution me of some things and warn me of some things. Does that make sense? So this morning, as we read the text, I want you to almost envision that you're sitting there and hearing Jesus caution you of some things, tell you to beware of some things. So normally in those conversations, you, you lean in a little bit. So I want, I want to invite you to do that this morning. To read the scriptures. What would he warn us of? Chapter seven, verse 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly 
are ravenous wolves. Here's the first thing he warns us of. Beware of being deceived by false teachers. A prophet is someone who claims to be speaking on behalf of God. So maybe a little, a, norm, a word we use a little bit more often in our culture is, is a teacher. So beware of being deceived by false teachers, false preachers. That is the first thing he warns us of. Don't be deceived. So here's, here's the reality. Not everyone who says, yeah, I'm speaking for God. Not everyone who says they're teaching the scriptures. Not everyone who mentions the name of Jesus is actually trustworthy. Which in a day and age when you can like, when anyone can write anything about anything they want on the internet, you shouldn't believe everything on the internet. Amen? Be careful. I think that is, be careful what you read, be careful what you listen to, be careful what sermons you watch or whatever, what speakers you watch online, even if they're claiming to be speaking on behalf of God, beware. Why? Because they look, he says, they look like a fellow sheep. If you're a Christian, Jesus says you're a sheep. Welcome to the flock, all right? Her, flock, herd? I'm not sure. Farmer Richie can help me later. Anyways, yeah. welcome to, we'll, we'll go with herd. You're a sheep. He says they look like sheep coming in, but actually on the inside, what are they? They're wolves. So they look like they've been saved and changed by the mercy and grace of Jesus. They look like, at first glance, their shepherd is Jesus, but he says, in reality, they're just a wolf. They have selfish desires to destroy the flock. They want to they're ravenous, so their desire is to devour the flock. So rather than to build up the flock and be one of the members of another sheep, their desire is actually to hurt and destroy the sheep because they have selfish desires. Well, if you're like me, I'm like, well, Jesus, how, if they look like a sheep, they're dressed like a sheep, I can't see into what's inside of them, how are we gonna spot them? How are we gonna recognize, oh, that, that's a false teacher, that's a false preacher, a false prophet. He tells us, verse 16, you will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? And the implied answer is no. So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree can't bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. So man, straight from the text, how are we gonna recognize these false teachers? What's he say? By their fruit. It says it twice, right? Verse 16 and then in verse 20. You're gonna recognize them by their fruit. Ah, interesting. So notice what Jesus says. It's not just that you're sitting out there and you hear them say something wrong or you, you read, ah, man, that's false doctrine, that's bad doctrine. So you're not always gonna be able to tell that they're phony, that they're fake just by what you hear or just by what you read from what they write. You're gonna tell by their fruit. Which that's, I love what the way John Bloom uh, wrote an article on this, and he says that fruit is one of the Bible's favorite metaphors for describing what our lives organically produce based on what our hearts believe and love. 
So again, I can't like, like produce fruit. It just happens. That was dangerous. It just happens based on what I believe and love, right? It's gonna naturally produce out of my life. So if I, if I truly love Jesus and believe in him and want to be like him, if that's my heart's desire, I'm not gonna be perfect, but I'm gonna start bearing good fruit because that's the, the source of my life. But if the source of my life, my treasure is selfish desires, the fruit I'm going to naturally produce is gonna be bad fruit. Well, here's the cool thing. Again, Jesus is a great preacher. He ties everything together. We have the fruit of what he's talking about in the context of the Sermon on the Mount. So when he talks about good fruit, he means that good sheep who are really good trees, they're gonna produce healthy, good fruit. It means they're gonna be poor in spirit. They're gonna be merciful. They're gonna be pure in heart. They're gonna be peacemakers. When you bear good fruit, you're gonna be the salt of the earth. You're gonna be the light of the world and let your light shine before other people. You're gonna seek to rip out anger out of your life and rather be a person of peace. You're gonna seek to destroy lust and not let it be part of your life. You're not gonna seek to get retaliation. You're gonna seek to love your enemy as yourself. You're gonna pray for your enemies. You're gonna give to the needy and you're gonna pray not so that you can impress other people with how spiritual you are, but rather because you wanna have a close relationship with God because you love God. And you're gonna fast not to impress people because you really want to have the heart of God. When you bear good fruit, if your heart is really for the Lord, then rather than investing in your own kingdom, you're gonna wanna invest in God's kingdom. And as you do that, you're not gonna be anxious. You're gonna choose not to be anxious because surely if our heavenly father takes care of the birds of the air and the flowers of the field, surely he will take care of his own child. And as you bear good fruit, you're gonna seek not to be judgmental. Yes, you're gonna have a discerning mind and heart, but you're not gonna seek to be hypercritical because when you're hypercritical, you are hypocritical. And you're gonna seek to do unto others as you would want them to do unto you. He says, that's the kind of fruit we're looking for. And someone who says they know God, they say they're teaching scripture, but they're not bearing that kind of fruit. They are a fake. Don't listen to them. Don't let them pour into your life. They should bear fruit like Galatians 5 says, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So if they're not bearing fruit like that, something is wrong. Watch out. Don't be deceived. It's not that, here's the reality. Even good trees could produce a bad piece of fruit sometimes. But if over and over and over, the fruit in this teacher's life is not healthy, is not good, something's wrong. And he says, the reason it's such a big deal, the reason I have to be careful is because Verse 19, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So these false teachers who, they look like sheep, but they're actually wolves. And again, he switched the metaphor to trees. These bad tree, false teachers that are bad trees producing bad fruit, they're eventually thrown into the fire. He's saying their ultimate destination is hell. And if you follow their teaching, you get sucked into what they're teaching your ultimate destination could be hell if you choose to follow what they're teaching. Beware. You know, there's something cool about 
the metaphor or metaphors in general that they give us a lot of insight into what's being said. And that's why I love that Jesus gives us two metaphors here. We talked about the sheep a little bit, but think about with fruit. Gives us some insight into how to understand this. So first of all, fruit doesn't just appear like that immediately. If you do plant like an apple tree or whatever kind of fruit tree and overnight something happens, you're using something illegal. <laughs> so don't do that. I think the implication there is with the idea of fruit, you're not gonna be able to look at someone's life and automatically know good teacher, bad teacher. True teacher of the word, false teacher. Just like fruit, it's gonna take a while. It's gonna take time. Second thing about fruit, it's interesting, is from a distance, fruit can look really, really good. But when you get up closer, you can see it for what it really is. My, my kids, while um, they're growing and they're desire and love. They're almost two years old this month. Crazy. Anyways, uh, they're growing in their desire for junk food. Now they taste more junk food, know what it is, but they still really love fruit. Like, I think this would actually hold up that if I brought them up here and had a bowl of strawberries and blueberries, and then a bowl of donuts, I, I'm not lying to you. I think they would go for the strawberries and blueberries. It's kind of crazy. I'm actually super proud of that. Anyways, um, they love fruit. So back at, uh, Christmas time, we were back in Florida visiting family, we're at my Mimi's house, my mom's mom's house. And I had both the kids holding, I guess, I don't know uh, why I had both of them, but whatever reason did. And my Mimi has a bowl of fruit on the kitchen table. And so we're probably like, if that's the kitchen table, we're probably this far away. And they start, they see it and they're like, fruit, 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 because they want the fruit, right? But see, I know something about my Mimi that they don't know. She loves to keep fake fruit on the table, right? So from a distance, it looks like it's just dripping in honey and it's sugary and it's sweet. But we get over there, and they were like losing their minds. Why won't dad give us this fruit? So I had to take them up close so they could actually see it. And then they, like, they just quickly were like, we don't want that fruit. No one wants plastic. If you do, that's weird. So the thing about Jesus' metaphor teaches us it may take time to see the fruit in someone's life, but also it may take togetherness, like proximity of seeing what their life is really bearing out. I think this is actually an argument, you could say, for, for and, uh, like a preaching of the choir here, but I think this is, text is an argument for being involved in the local church. Let's be real, and I, I, I'm one of them. Our generation loves, maybe you don't, like you think, I think most people will agree with this. Anyways, um, our generation loves listening to podcasts, right? I saw some amens there. <laughs> we love podcasts. Like one of my personal favorite preachers to listen to is Ben Stewart. I love Matt Chandler. Love listening to those guys. I know a lot of y'all have folks you listen to. Um, I hear this is an awesome podcast called The Venue. You should check it out. Just kidding. Um, anyways, there's nothing wrong with listening to a podcast. Nothing at all. We can grow a lot from it. The, the, the problem with a podcast is I don't know their lives. Like for all I know, Ben Stewart, who's a part of Passion, Passion City Church, D.C., he could be a complete jerk and I have no idea, right? 
I love Matt Chandler, listening to him. I, I, there's people in Lubbock that know Matt and uh, will vouch that he's a good guy, so we won't pick on him right now. But my point is, if, you, if only you listen, all you listen to is the podcast and don't know them, you don't really know whether or not, you can't be sure whether or not they're a false teacher because you don't know the fruit of their life. Does that make sense? So th- I think it's an argument for being involved in the local church, knowing your small group leader, knowing your small group teacher, I don't know every single one of you, but we ha- a lot of us have a relationship. Maybe you don't know me, but maybe you know someone who knows me who can hopefully vouch for the fruit or lack of fruit in my life. So let's, let's just like tease this out a little more. So if I'm up here teaching God's word, but later today, as we're leaving the church parking lot, we're going through and I give you the bird, something's up. Do y'all call it the bird in Texas? If I flick you off, okay? And then we just happen to see each other at Evie Mays. Mm, that sounds good, don't it? By the way, the correct pronunciation is Evie Mays. I just wanna be on the record for that, okay? You know what I'm talking about, barbecue place? If we go out to Evie Mays and we're having lunch and you see me being a jerk to my wife, interrupting her, cutting her off, putting her down, you have, I'm being serious, you have every right to call me out. I don't mean like, you're a fake teacher. Like maybe like, let's t- like give me a chance to redeem myself. But, but I'm serious, like, don't put up with that, amen? If I'm not becoming more like Christ, I'm not bearing good fruit, then you shouldn't be here listening. Man, be involved in the local church, know your teacher. Let's try to get to know each other and be careful what you listen to. Be careful who you read. Be careful the sermons you pay attention to because you don't want your end to be the end of the false teachers, which he says, they're thrown into the fire. Beware of being deceived by false teachers. And if, and if you were to say, you know, Brandon, but like, I don't know if they preach the whole gospel, but they make some really, really good points. That's why I like listening to them. I would remind you what Paul said to the Galatians, uh, in Ch- Galatians chapter one. He said, even if I, this is Paul, the apostle talking, talking to the Galatian church, he says, even if I or an angel were to come and preach to you a different gospel than the gospel of Jesus Christ, let that person be accursed, meaning let that person be damned. In other words, Paul says, you tell that person, Mr. Angel, you can go back to where you came from. Don't put up with anything that's not the gospel. Don't allow it into your life. Or if you were to say, yeah, I know, but it just makes me feel good. I love the way that preacher, that teacher, that book, it makes me feel, so I wanna keep listening to it. I would remind you that your feelings are not God. Paul, uh, Paul, John Piper says, my feelings are not God. God is God. My feelings do not define truth. God's word defines truth, amen? So we're gonna cling to God's word we're gonna to listen to what he says, regardless of how it makes us feel. Beware of being deceived by false teachers. You see Jesus leaning in and warning you? There's a lot of warnings in scripture, but there's one more that Jesus gives in this passage. First, don't be deceived by false teachers. See the second one, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, 
Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? Then I would declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Pretty sobering passage, isn't it? Here's the second thing Jesus warns us of. Beware of deceiving yourself. He says there's a lot of people that are gonna get to heaven, or to heaven's gates, you could say, and come to find out they never knew me. They thought they were Christians, but they actually weren't. Uh, I'm trying to grow in, in my boldness and like, don't have to be goofy all the time, which is that one's gonna be really hard, but. My tone here is not gonna be this like, because I think if I get too intense there, it's easy for us as a church to be like, yeah, yeah, th those people out there, yeah, they're not the real deal. And I really believe this warning, Jesus means it for us. If you think about who he was talking to, this was the Sermon on the Mount. This is a, a group of people gathered together near the Sea of Galilee to hear a rabbi teach. These are not people out partying, acting crazy, and they're coming to hear a message from the Lord. And beyond that, these were the Jews. These were God's people. And he's telling them, hey, I want you to beware. Because not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. So this is a warning not for those people out there, so to speak. Those people out there, it's a warning for us. You know what's, kind of scary about this? They were genuinely surprised. Jesus describes this. These people are genuinely surprised. They're, they're, Lord, did we, not, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? So they, they get, they're ready to enter eternity and be with Jesus forever. And they're surprised to find out, wait, we, we don't belong here. So these were people that thought they were Christians, but weren't. What's the problem here? It's interesting, that they claim to have two things. First of all, Lord, Lord, that's what we call profession of, uh, yes, I believe you're God. But then they also have, I would call it performance. That look at all these things we did. We prophesied in your name. We cast out demons. We did all these mighty works in your name. So they performed all these spiritual activities. So they had profession and they had performance. So what is the problem? What were they lacking? The problem is that mere profession of, yes, I love you, Jesus, mere profession and performing spiritual activity is not what saves you. If you look just a few verses before, we covered this two weeks ago, back to verses 13 and 14, Jesus says the way you enter the narrow gate, the way you come into the kingdom of God, into a relationship with God, is not through just saying something with your mouth. It's not just through performing all this spiritual activity. It's entering by the narrow gate. Who is the, yeah, not just what is, who is the narrow gate? 
Jesus. You enter by the narrow gate. The idea we talked about is that you come to him spiritually bankrupt, come, with him, come to him, excuse me, and say, Jesus, I literally have nothing. And I wanna give you everything. I, I don't have this spiritual activity I can show you. I'm a mess. I'm coming to you for salvation. And the Sermon on the Mount teaches us that at, once you enter the narrow gate, it's a narrow road of living out the kingdom principles. But you don't enter the kingdom. You don't come into a relationship with God through just doing stuff. See, the problem is they're saying, Jesus, we did all this stuff for you. But Jesus replied, I don't know you. And the problem beyond that is they were making more for their entrance into the kingdom of heaven. They were focusing more on what they had done than what Jesus had done for them. You with me? If you get that backwards, you're, you're not in. You don't know him. If you think your relationship with God is based on how much you've done, eh, wrong. It's based on what Jesus has done. But the reality is, Ephesians 2 teaches us, I'm saved by grace through faith. And man, Ephesians teaches that, really the whole Bible teaches us to delight in that, to delight in God's grace and favor upon our life through Jesus Christ. But as I delight in Jesus, Ephesians 2 teaches us, really, again, all of scripture, but picking on Ephesians 2 for a second. Ephesians 2 teaches us that he's prepared good works for us to walk in. So as I delight in the grace and salvation of Jesus, my delighting should lead to doing. But the doing, the living for Jesus, the becoming, the being like Jesus begins with saying, God, I got nothing. But I realize that you've offered me everything through the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. See, it's interesting. They had done some of this flashy stuff for Jesus. Like, don't think less of me, but I've actually never cast out a demon. It may surprise you. Probably not, but... That would be pretty epic. I'm not saying I want to encounter that, but uh, I've never cast out a demon. I don't know that you would say, look at my life and say, Brandon has done many mighty works. I don't like, no, I don't think that's Brandon. It's not what Jesus is looking for. Do you know him? And if you know him, verse 21 says, you will do the will of the Father. Jesus says, if you love me, you will what? What's that four-letter word? It's a, good, it's a good four-letter word. If you love me, you will obey me. Not if you love me, you do all this awesome stuff. No, if you love me, you'll obey me. Which here's the reality. Being like Jesus and just doing the simple things he asks us to do in obedience is way more difficult than doing stuff for Jesus. What does that mean? It's way more difficult to drive out anger and lust from my life and drive out the desire to impress people with my spirituality. It's way more difficult to do that than just to wear a Christian t-shirt and go on a mission trip, right? Jesus isn't looking for this flashy, showy Christianity. He just says, hey, if you love me, you're gonna obey me. And you're gonna love me because you know me and know my grace and mercy, not because of all the cool things you've done. I remember one time in class, 
about a guy named Larry Osborne, a really awesome pastor out in California, come and speak to us. Uh, it was a, it was a um, not seminar, anyways, a class on discipleship. And he was speaking about discipleship, creating a discipleship culture in our churches. And he asked the question, he got by the whiteboard and he asked the question, hey, what are some characteristics? What should, you, you guys are pastors, you wanna be pastors. What are some things that should really define true disciples, true followers of Christ? So we began to raise our hands and he would write them on the board. So I think mine, I'll tell you, uh, kind of embarrassed to tell you, but mine was, man, if they really know Jesus, they shouldn't be afraid to worship. Like they should have their hands up in church. Not that I'm looking. Um, they, should be, they should be really engaged in worship. So he said, okay, I, I can write that, you know, uh, passionate in worship. I said, yeah, passionate, that's a good word. And someone else said, you know, not that it's about your clothes, but maybe they should have like, like a, a Christian t-shirt or something because they're not ashamed of the gospel. And so Dr. Osborne wrote that on there. Someone else said, Hey, if they're a real follower of Christ, they need to be like involved in the church. They need to be volunteering. They need to be helping out with vacation Bible school. And we're like, yeah, that's good stuff. And so he wrote that one down. And this goes on for probably like, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes. And Dr. Osborne put the uh, dry erase marker down and he said, what about, what about obedience? Would that be a good thing for a disciple of Christ? And we're all like, dadgummit. <laughs> Ugh, I hate my life. But that was revealing of how obsessed all of us are with this like showy performance Christianity. And Jesus says, hey, if you know me, if you love me, you're gonna obey me. Don't deceive yourself. Last Sunday, we always uh, on Sunday mornings meet in this room back behind in the worship center and pray for the service and everything. Last Sunday, Jerry Newman prayed for, he's the worship uh, pastor in the worship center and he prayed for the service and right as he finished, he's, he said, oh yeah, Lord, one more thing, help the Chiefs to win tonight. <laughs> Which they did win, right? Go Chiefs. <laughs> it was funny thinking about uh, the Chiefs and thinking about Patrick Mahomes. Um, man, we like Patrick Mahomes around here, don't we? There's nothing wrong with it. Like I was cheering for him last week. Man, what a great game. By the way, if you missed that, that's on you, right? Like, this is not spoiler alert, okay? The Chiefs won. Um, <laughs> if like, who's Patrick Mahomes? Because that could happen in here. So Patrick Mahomes, he's the quarterback for the Chiefs, but he used to play for Goltech. Oh yeah, for the Red Raiders, right? And so uh, we love Patrick Mahomes around here. He's a Texas guy. And so it's easy for us to be like, man, we love Patrick Mahomes, especially when you add like, it's interesting how many people are Chiefs fans now because our boys in Dallas are kind of struggling right now. Um, and then like, if you're like my wife and I, we're Jacksonville Jaguars fans, we're always bad. And so it's easy to be on uh, the Chiefs bandwagon. I remember even one time when, when uh, Mahomie was in uh, Lubbock, still at Tech, I went to the Potbelly sandwich shop down by Texas Tech and y'all, not exaggerating, he was like two or three people in front of me getting his food. Like I used the same like credit card machine as him. Like <laughs> so cool, so cool. All of us are on the, on the Mahomes fan team, but here's, you know what the problem is? As much as I, I like Patrick Mahomes, I don't know him at all, right? Some of you are like, well, actually I had a class with him. <laughs> but most of us don't know him. Like if I was like, if I went to Patrick Mahomes, like, dude, congrats on the Super Bowl. I'm your biggest fan. You're so awesome, man. You're just so cool. I have your t-shirts. I even like had this flag I put on my car. It's, it's just amazing. I love the Chiefs. And he would say, I don't know you. 
Y'all tracking with me? Here's the danger about, I love where we live. Gosh, I love Lubbock. Great place, seriously. Lubbock or leave it, right? Love Lubbock. But here's the interesting, we're, we're, we're in the Bible Belt, no surprise to you. I don't even say we're like, Texas is the buckle on the Bible Belt, right? And it goes across the Southeast and even like includes North Florida where Richard and I are from. Like not, South Central Florida is kind of weird, but North Florida is still like in that good old Bible Belt right there. But you know what the danger about the Bible Belt is? There's all this cultural Christianity. Yeah, Jesus is cool, man, he's awesome. I've always been a Christian. And the reality is too many of us are gonna get to heaven and he's gonna say, yeah, you had my t-shirt, but I don't know you. Don't deceive yourself. Have you come to Jesus the narrow gate and said, God, I have nothing, but I give you my all. I know you gave your all for me and because of your life and your death and your resurrection, I can place my faith and trust in you. I want you to be the Lord of my life and have a relationship with you. And I'm gonna obey you because you're my Lord. I'm gonna do what you say to do. I'm gonna become like you. Even when it's not cool, sexy, or flashy, I'm gonna walk with you and obey you because I love you. See, when you get to heaven, stand before the Lord on judgment day, if you say, oh, Jesus, I went on some mission trips. I went to church. And you know Southcrest, that's a good church. I went to Southcrest. Lord, I, I haven't even, I even voted right. I did all these things. What a shame, actually, what a terror it would be for him to say, yeah, yeah, yeah that's okay, but I don't know you. I don't wanna be surprised on judgment day. We don't have to be surprised on judgment day because Jesus offers salvation today, like right now in this moment. So hopefully the spirit is stirring in you a little bit. Do you know him? I'm not a, uh, actually, I don't like it at all when, when preachers are like, if you are 0.00001% unsure of your salvation, you're going to hell. I think that's, that's, that's not true. Try to watch my, what I say here. I want to bear good fruit. <laughs> that is not true. Pastor Dave and I were talking, I guess it was three weeks ago now. I, it was cool. We were kind of having a uh, just good long talk. And we were talking about that even as preachers, we have doubts sometimes. I say even, because I think sometimes as you're sitting, I think about, oh, I bet preachers don't struggle. That's not true, we struggle. There's times I'm reading scripture and I'm seeing the, the demands of what it means to follow Jesus. And I'm like, am I actually a Christian? I don't know. Like, I wrestle with it sometimes. And I go back to me, do I know Jesus? So my, my point, uh, I think Jesus' goal this morning is not to just make you scared, like doubt forever. No, but just like to wrestle with, do you know him or not? Does that make sense? Not are you perfect, but do you know him and are you becoming like him? Don't be deceived because you don't wanna be surprised. I, I wanna end this message the way Jesus does because I don't think I can improve upon it. He's, he's a pretty good preacher. He's God, so he's got it figured out. Verse 24, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. 
And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. When Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. He was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. The reason we believe that the teachings and more importantly, you could say, oh, not more importantly, but and as importantly, the life of Jesus demands a response is because of passages like this. Jesus didn't preach his sermon and be like, hope y'all enjoyed that. Y'all have a good fried chicken dinner. Like, no, he preached and really this whole last, like since verse 13 is demanding response, but without doubt, he's demanding response here. He says, it's not enough just to hear my words. You need to what? What's it say? Do them. So not just hope y'all had a great sermon, hope you chewed on some things, enjoyed it. No, he's saying, put it into action. Don't just say, man, Jesus is a good teacher. I like being kind of around his people. No, put it into action. Enter by the narrow gate and begin to live the kingdom life. And if you do that, if you place your faith and trust in Christ, enter by the narrow gate and begin to obey him, you are like a person who builds their house on the rock. And to get to the bedrock, to get to the foundation takes, excuse me, like to get to the rock, to make a good foundation takes work and sweat. But when the storms of life come and they will come, and at the very least, the storm of ultimate judgment before God, when that storm comes, your house will stand because you built on the rock that is Jesus Christ. And the house is your life. And all of your efforts in your life will not have been wasted because they will stand on the rock. So it's a call to respond, to believe and to be like Christ with his spirit within you. But he says, if you only hear my words, you can still build a house. You can still be busy with doing, quote, Christian things. But if you don't actually do anything, meaning if you don't actually respond in faith, and enter by the narrow gate and begin to live out the kingdom principles, you're not actually building your house on the rock. You're building it on sand. And so then when the storms of life come, the trials of life come, or again, the judgment, the ultimate storm, the judgment of God, when we go to eternity, your life, all of your time invested, all of the effort you put in will all be for naught because you did not build your house on the rock. And it's interesting, Jesus, he makes it seem as though these houses are the exact same. He doesn't say, this one built his house with this stuff, and this one built his house with this stuff. It's the same house. From the casual observer's perspective, just looking at these houses, they look the exact same. This is meant to like wake us up a little bit. We could walk around this room and all of our lives might look pretty similarly, but the problem is you can't see the foundation. If you're just looking at the, a few things about the way you live, but not actually looking, what is my foundation? Is it Jesus? When the storms of life come, you may be surprised. That should terrify us. 
not cause us to live forever in fear, but in this moment, it should wake us up and say, what is my rock? What am I building my life on? My good works, which are actually filthy before the eyes of Christ? Is it my, where I grew up? No, what is my rock? Is it Jesus or not? Y'all with me? Well, I say it should terrify us. I don't think Jesus told us this to, to like make us live in fear forever. Let me explain that. I think, I, I do this often, so it shouldn't be surprised, but a good metaphor for, um, for the Christian life or even life in general, I think is, is whitewater rafting because I think it represents kind of the journey of life. But if you've been whitewater rafting, you know that um, as you're sitting there, if I, so if I'm on the, the boats here, I'm on the, the tube right here on the outside, as you near a rapid, they're gonna, the, almost every time, the guide, he or she will remind you, hey, make sure your feet are tucked. Make sure they're tucked. Because your feet aren't tucked into the raft, when you hit the rapid, you may get popped out. <laughs> we actually had a girl this summer that she was there and then she wasn't. <laughs> The guide doesn't tell you that so that you're super scared and the whole time like, oh my gosh, I'm scared. The guide tells you that, hey, check your feet so that you are prepared. Not so you live in fear, but so that you are prepared when the storm of the rapid comes. Jesus gives us these tough passages, not because he's a jerk, not because he wants you to live scared the rest of your life, but so that on the day of judgment, you are prepared. You have difficult conversations like these, not because you're mean, but because you love people and say, I care about you. I want you to be ready for this. So we're gonna enter a time of response in a moment. I think there's kind of three responses. One, maybe you've never built your house on the rock. You've never entered by the narrow gate. You've never placed your faith and trust in Christ, repented from your sins and said, Jesus, I need you. I, I, I want you to be the Lord and Savior of my life. Today is the day, y'all, you can be saved by grace through faith. Amen? How cool is that? No matter how messed up you are, Jesus says, anyone, everyone who hears these words and does them. So you can't say, well, I'm, I'm excluded. Jesus doesn't offer this to me. No, anyone is, is uh, afforded the opportunity to come and to build their house on the rock. He says, come to me, you can build. Come to him this morning. There, in a moment, there'll be some pastors down front and even on, kind of on the corners, we're gonna have um, some different couples from our church who we love and trust who are gonna be there to pray with you and talk with you as well. So if you don't know Christ, man, today's a day, a great day to start building on the rock. If you are a believer, I think the, the first thing you should do as we respond in a moment is just express your gratitude for Jesus for salvation. That you don't have to live in fear. You don't have to be surprised on judgment day because you, can know, because you, you already know him. Express that gratitude. And the second thing I would challenge you to do is keep building. You don't like... How dumb it would be to lay a foundation for a house and then just like leave it. It's a good, like no one says that's a good looking foundation, right? No, build your life on Christ. Do the things he calls you to do of being like him because you delight in him. This weekend, I was at a conference, uh, Kingdom at Work, and Kyle Zant, the president of Beaton Bow, he didn't even know, it's one of his notes, I think it was just a God thing. He said, 
Most Christians don't have a hearing problem. Again, lots of people hear it. Jesus just said that. Most Christians don't have a hearing problem. Most of us have an obedience problem. That's a good word. If I'm gonna keep building my life on Christ, it's not about hearing more sermons and doing more stuff. It's about obeying. Y'all with me? This morning, maybe you need to consider how am I building my life on Christ? Not so I can get grace, but because of grace. And I mentioned those couples, they're, they're gonna be on the, the sides kind of near the corners. Maybe this morning, you're not like, maybe it's not that you need to get saved. Maybe this morning, you just would like some encouragement, would like someone to pray for you. Say, hey, you could go like Trevor and Ashley Copeland are gonna be over in this corner. And then I'm Zach and Becca are gonna be over here in this corner. Maybe it's just coming to them and saying, hey, I need to keep building my life on Christ. Would you pray for me? And they would love to pray for you. That simple. Maybe it means this morning, getting on your knees where you're at and just talking to the Lord. Maybe it means coming down front. Whatever it is, we want you to respond because Jesus demands a response. I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna sing and respond. Jesus, thank you that you love us enough to want us to be prepared for judgment day. God, I, I pray that I trust that even now you're already stirring in people salvation, God, people that don't know you, that you're calling them to yourself. And I pray that you give them boldness to, to talk to one of us about it, even during this next song. I gotta pray for believers this morning, that they would, man, just delight in the salvation offered by you, that we get to come into the kingdom because of you. But Lord, also that we would build our house on you, God, that we would keep obeying, keep trusting, keep becoming like you as we delight in you. God, that we realize that your foundation, that you are a foundation of love and hope and grace and purpose and forgiveness. You are a foundation worth building our lives on. So God, give us fortitude and steadfastness in that endeavor. God, we love you and trust that you would help us to respond appropriately during this time. It's in your amazing and powerful and saving name that we pray. Amen. If you are encouraged by today's talk, be sure to subscribe and rate us wherever you stream your podcast. The goal of the venue is to help you find your greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus by being relational, helpful, hopeful, and real. Thanks again for listening to the Venue Podcast.